Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, don't be too excited. The pressure. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. It's always uh, an honor to be able to to stand here before you and uh, share the scriptures and uh, and just kind of come together as a family in this idea that what we do is is not just uh, a religious activity. It's uh, an act to, to honor God and to get to know him more. And it's an honor to be part of that every week. And particularly, it's something special to be able to share the scriptures with you. Although today, it's kind of with a heavy heart because um, I would rather Sam be here. And I'd rather him uh, be giving this, you know, Christmas time, uh, this message of joy. <laughs> and hope, but um, it's a hard time for, for his family, it's a hard time for our family as a church, and it's okay to talk about that, and it's okay to acknowledge that, and I, and I want to start by doing that, um, you know, Marlene is, is family, and although we are all going to miss her, I'm, uh, I'm happy for her today, and she is in the arms of the Savior, and even as much as we miss her here, She's right where she needs to be. So, in the midst of the holiday season and the lights on houses and trees going up in living rooms and uh, holiday classics on TV and Christmas carols on the radio, do you guys tune in to the radio station that just plays Christmas? Some of you are like, I hate those songs. And some of you are like, I do it. All that my wife does. Every time I get in her car, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but then my daughter now is like hooked on them. So my daughter's like, Frosty the Snowman. She loves that song. It's like the best. But in the midst of all those things, all the holiday production that, that we uh, partake in, and some people... Um, you know, might protest the commercialization of Christmas, but we we do these things again not because some cultural phenomenon that happens once a year, but because we believe that Jesus was born, and we celebrate that. But it's important, I think, to acknowledge too that for a great many people, the holidays are a hard time. It's a hard time of year because we are in the midst of all the joy and all the hope and the message of the season. We're reminded of the people that we used to celebrate with. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, if we can get personal for a minute, maybe by show of hand, is there someone that you miss every year at this time? Right? 
It's common ground. We're, uh, it's, it's, it's the human condition, and it's, it's not easy to go through, and words don't do a good job of expressing the profound feeling of loss that, that we can go through. But we can empathize, we can give hugs, and we can acknowledge that it's hard for a lot of people. We're all in this boat together. So we're in the third week of Advent. Is that right? Holy moly. Third week of Advent, which is uh, Advent. You might know, you might not know. It might be a, it might be a religious word because we do these things. Advent really is a season. It's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It means anticipation. It means this time that we're waiting um, and so in, in high church tradition, they would do, like, all the music would be very somber right now because it's, this hope has not yet arrived, but, it, but we know it's coming. And so uh, it's, it's the idea that we're anticipating something amazing that's about to happen that hasn't quite happened yet. Believing without yet seeing. Holding on to hope in a dark time. And there's a songwriter, his name is Linford Detwiller, He's in a band called Over the Rhine, and they write this kind of, I guess they've become known for writing kind of melancholy Christmas songs. Um, And he said this. He said, it's a beautiful, heartbreaking, imperfect world, and it's a gift to be alive in it. Amen? Can we all, you know, at some level that resounds within our souls. Today is December 15th, the third week of Advent. That means there's 10 more days before the big day. And some of you have been busy shopping, preparing, planning, and the rest of you are men. (laughs) And, um, you know, before I go on, I just want... I want to acknowledge that Ben was stood up here last week. I was in Arizona, and uh, Ben has such a gift of encouragement. I just want to say thank, thank you. <clears throat> so there's a big push every year that we so desperately try. This community in particular, and um, I think communities that I am always drawn to, there's this big push to to acknowledge at least this this consumerism that, that kind of takes over this time of year. And we feel the walls crushing in a little bit, all the stuff of Christmas that would take our eyes off the real meaning of it and replace it with just buying presents and decorations and whatever else it might be. We, we kind of push back on that a little bit and say, you know, Sam uh, famously would say, give more and spend less. Spend less on stuff. Give more of your time. Give more uh, on Giving Tuesday. Give more to organizations. Give more. Do, do more for the kingdom than for a single day where you're going to exchange maybe novelty gifts. How many of you guys do gift cards? <laughs> this has become the thing, right? So in my family, at least, it's like it's funny because everyone's like, just you know, bring a $25 gift card and throw in a hat. And I'm like... Can I just keep the $25 and you keep your $25? Because I'll, you know, we're just giving each other $25. It doesn't feel personal anymore. So uh, gifts are funny. 
Gift cards are funny things. Don't, if you want to give me a gift card to Starbucks, I'll take it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's Christmas time, though, and, um, and often we're tricked into putting our focus on all the stuff of Christmas. And so I thought, just by way of transition here, um, I read this, and I thought it was uh, not just clever and cute, but actually uh, a little bit profound. So it is, the th- the, it is 1 Corinthians 13, Christmas edition. <laughs> it goes like this. If I decorate my house perfectly with, pe- with plaid bows, strands of twinkling lights, and shiny balls, but do not have love, I'm just a decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging beautifully ordained uh, table at, at mealtime, but I do not have love, <clears throat> I'm just a cook. If I work at a soup kitchen, carol in the nursing home, and give all that I have to charity, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties, and sing in the choir's cantina, but do not focus on Christ, I have missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss the spouse. Love is kind, though harried and tired. Love does not envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table items. Love does not yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful that they are there to be in the way. Love does not only give to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices giving to those who cannot. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Toys will break. Pearl necklaces will be lost. Golf clubs will rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. Amen. I read a little funny that said, if you have taught in Sunday school before, you'll appreciate this, but... The Sunday school teacher asked the, the class, what is, why is it so important for us to be quiet during church service? And the little girl in the front row raised her hand, and she said, because you don't want to wake up the people who are asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so if I lull you asleep, I apologize. I have had very little myself. <laughs> um, in the biblical narrative that we're familiar with, it's Christmas time, so we hear the story year after year. Um, we hear it even on the Peanuts Christmas special. <laughs> We're familiar with the angel Gabriel bringing incredible news to Mary, a young girl, a teenage girl betrothed to be, uh, to be married. It's incredible, outlandish, insane news. And I think that maybe we hear the story so often that we don't realize how ridiculous the news is. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Think back to your freshman year in high school. Maybe sophomore year. And what were you, what were you doing? What were you thinking about? Nobody wants to admit it. Beach. Girls. Girls. <laughs> Girls. I was... I was learning how to play guitar so I could impress girls. I haven't changed. 
Uh, no, I mean, 13 to 15 years old. That's Mary. That's how old she was. So I know who I was when I was 13, and I was a mess. I was, I was, my priorities were all over the place. I wasn't thinking straight. <laughs> Hormones were going crazy, the whole thing. I was scrambling to turn in homework at the last minute. I was trying hard to stay awake in class, forgetting to do my chores. And my sons are out there going, yep. (laughs) They're just like me. But Mary was about that old, 13 to 15, betrothed to be married, trusted by God, the Most High God to not only bear his only begotten, but to raise him in the ways of man. To me, this is ridiculous. I guess when you look at it with fresh eyes, you think, why would God pick a young girl by the standards of our society to do his very most important work in the history of history. It might be ridiculous, but it's true, and it gets crazier. If you have a copy of the scriptures, will you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? I love the gospel of Luke. I love all the gospels for different reasons, and I love that we've been going through, uh, kind of looking at how John has taken a look at what as as Sam has gone through and and we've gone, you know looking at how John has a different take or is filling in the gaps of uh, stories that were not in the other gospels because as an old man he's looking back going like all these things have been written but they forgot to talk about that and they didn't mention this story and he has this personal experience and wealth of knowledge so of the gospel writers we have Matthew who was a disciple who walked with Jesus so he's giving his firsthand account we have Mark. You guys know Mark was not a disciple. But Mark was a traveling companion to Paul. And he was also the cousin of Barnabas. And one of my, you know, one of the, the favorite kind of elements of the, the Gospel of Mark is he's actually telling Peter's side of the story because he was Peter's scribe and friend and confidant. John obviously walked with Jesus. But Luke was not even Jewish. And so he has a different take as well. He kind of goes through this and he, he ex- explains in the very first chapter of, of the gospel that he, is, he has kind of done this investigative work. It's almost as if he's like saying, yeah, I've seen stories that have been written and I wanted to, I wanted to do some interviewing and some, and some investigative work to make sure this is all accurate. And here it is. And he has kind of a different take on it altogether. He's a doctor. He's a Greek. So uh, just different school of thought altogether than, than the Jewish folks that have written in the Bible. So Luke tells the story from Mary's perspective. Because he's, at least this is what I think has happened. He sat down with Mary and he's interviewed. He's investigated her story. And that's why we have such a personal connection to Mary and this gospel. And so, 
we find out. We find out a lot of things about Mary by what he says and what he doesn't say. Mary was born into a humble but faithful family. And when the angel came to her and he said, no word from God will ever fail. He said, nothing is impossible with God. She believed that with faith like a child. The news that he brought to Mary was so ridiculous and so outlandish and so insane that most adults probably would be like, hmm. I mean, in fact, we've seen that. We've seen other adults in the scriptures where they've received a message from an angel and the adults are kind of like, I don't think that's really going to happen. But Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me. I get choked up. Because those words from a young teenage person, a young teenage woman who by our standards today would be considered a child or a, a young, young woman, She's too young to drive in our culture, too young to get a job, too young to vote. But here she says she gives herself away to this idea that she knows is big, but she she can't even know how big this idea is. She can't know the heartbreak that's going to come along with it. She can't know the incredible joys that are going to be. She hasn't experienced any of this yet. But she steps into it because she has this incredible trust for God. She trusted She trusted his word, his message, his plan for her. And then Luke tells us the next thing she did is she went to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also with child, and that would be John the Baptist. And Elizabeth has some uncanny intuition because when she sees Mary and her baby leaps within her womb, she immediately knows that this is no ordinary child. Something is, and says the Holy Spirit came upon her. So she knows and she says, you know, as soon uh, verse 44, so Luke chapter 1, verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary bursts out into this song. (laughs) It's called Mary's Song in, in the title probably of your Bible or the Magnificat if you're old school, which is a Latin word that just means magnify. And it's funny because when I read, when the, you know, when I've read this NIV version and it says Mary's song, I kind of get this picture that like Mary bursts into song and dance, like the sound of music at this moment. <laughs> but this is maybe the first Christmas hymn. And if uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time today. We have a lot going on as a family and um, it's a busy time of year. But I just, just, just... Revel in this with me, if you will, for a minute. Starting in verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. 
And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures that speak some profound truths into our lives and say even more the more we read them. And I pray that uh, you would give us a desire and a hunger to know you through your word, through the experience that you give us by walking with you. And I pray that you would give us hope in this time of anticipation as we wait for joy to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Tim Keller says that he, he wraps up the gospel in a sentence. It's kind of an awkward sentence, but it's a, it's a sentence. And I like it. I've, I've committed this to memory, and so... Um, I'll tell you what it is, and then hopefully we can, we can get this together too. He says, God himself came into our world to rescue and renew all of creation in and through the works and person of Jesus Christ, and he did it on our behalf. That's a mouthful. But the beautiful thing for me about this sentence is that the very first thing he says, right, God himself came into our world. That's Christmas. That's what we celebrate. God himself came into our world to rescue and renew all of creation in and through the person and works of Jesus Christ, and he did it on our behalf. This is the heart of the gospel, and Mary gets it. Mary gets it as a young woman who has been, yeah, who's been transformed into, into, like she says in her song, From now on, all the generations will remember me and think of me as blessed because she carries the child of God. She has given herself to this, and like I said, all that comes with it that she doesn't even know, the highs and the the lows and the heartache and the confusion and the mystery, and she gets it. God himself has come into our world. Heaven has broken through. Nothing will ever be the same again. God himself, God himself, maker of heaven and earth, has just brought heaven to earth. He did it through the willing and faithful faith of a teenage peasant who only had the faith of a child, the trust of a child, Mary was a young woman, and God looked, you know, through all of history, through all of time, and found the one, right? And he does that to all of us. Now, we're not all carrying the Son of God, don't get me wrong. But we all have a place in God's kingdom. 
He zeroed in on you, zeroed in on me. This story, to me, like when I look at it and I said this, you know, it's, it's conditioned. I've heard it so many times. I've heard it my whole life. But when I really think about it, when I really think about how silly this sounds when I step out of it, when I step out of time, when I step out of my, my own faith and religion and, and uh, relationship with God, and I just read it with fresh eyes for the first time, I think, why would he do this? The very crux of history, the, the center of our faith, the center of history, the basis for all of our hope, salvation. God puts it in the hands of a young girl. God himself came into our world as a baby. Somehow young Mary sees the gravitas of her predicament. She feels the weightiness of it. She says the words, Messiah, Lord, Savior, Jesus. All the descriptors Gabriel gave her, they had serious weight to them. And in the first stanza of this song, we see something wonderful and true about God. He loves the underdog. (laughs) That's kind of how he picks his heroes. The disqualified, the unimpressive. Mary stands before the Lord just like we all do, needy and flawed and having not earned his grace or his favor. She is amazed at a God who knows her so well and shows her anyway. And so am I. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be chosen by God? That's a big topic that we're not going to cover today. (laughs) But is it a life of rainbows and unicorns? Is it a walk in the park? Is it life on a big puffy cloud in the sky? When Mary said, let it be done to me what you have said, she was signing up for a world of beauty and exhilaration and miracles and love and heartbreak and mystery and agonizing pain. The full gamut of life is built into the gospel itself. God loved so much that he gave. He gave. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a beautiful, heartbreaking, and perfect world. It's a gift to be alive in it. Mary's song goes on in verses 51 through 55, and she talks about his strength, right? She talks about that he helps the helpless, that he fills the hungry, that he exalts the humble. And this is the God that we worship. The God that sees maybe what man would think of as ridiculous, silly. And he says, that's my plan. And because God says it, it will not fail. This is the God we worship, church. This is who he is. This is what he's up to, not just during the first Christmas, but ever since. He is for the underdog. He is 
the God who in his strength helps the helpless. In his, uh, in his power, he exalts the humble. In his love, he fills the hungry. God himself came into our world as a baby. I, I think about that sometimes. I thought about this since I was since probably Bible college, where if I was God, right, if I was going to come up with a plan to save the world, probably wouldn't enter in the story as a baby. <laughs> probably would have, you know, done some, some weightlifting and come in with, ripped and ready to go. Probably would have had a way different strategy <laughs> altogether. But God in all his infinite wisdom and, and his nature and his character has always been the, the humble approach to everything. He enters the world to rescue and renew it and reclaim it and restore it, and he does it as a baby. That's the first step. That's what we celebrate. This is the hope that we cling to and this anticipation, this Advent season where we're looking forward to what's coming, we know and, and you know, we have history on our side. Mary didn't know exactly what was going to happen when, she, when her child was born. We'll talk more about that next time. But in this season of anticipation and hope for what's coming, I think it's important to know, be reminded maybe, that God loves you, sees you, sees you in your hurt, and he wants to be your comfort. He sees you in your celebration and in your joy, and he is your reward. He sees you in your struggle, and he is your strength. He sees you, he sees me. And he has hope to offer you. And that's what this season is about. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. The more we know your character, the more humble it makes us. (laughs) Because we know, as Mary knew, the best part of us is that you love us that you fill us, that you see us, and in spite of ourselves, you love us. So, Father, we pray the season that brings so many emotions to bear, loss and hurt and anger and joy and hope, and we're at this... We're at this this crossroads of all these things. Those things are built into the very gospel. There are amazing, amazing highs. There is so much joy and there is so much hurt. So we bring it to you, God, because we know you see us. We know you love us. We know we can trust you with all of it. We bring it at your feet this Advent season because we know that hope is just around the corner. And I pray that you would speak that into our hearts today. In Jesus' name.
You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.